Linda, I want to remind you of something uh, that we sang earlier. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, there's a place for you. So I've asked Kyle to stay up because we want to stay in this quiet place. We want to open our hearts to Jesus this morning for what he has for us. And I am going to talk about hands for a little bit today. And so as you're sitting there quietly reflecting on maybe the distractions, the, the frustrations even, the worries that you've brought to this place with you, would you just open your hands in a physical way to just release them to the Lord this morning, to ask those things to get out of the way, anything that would distract us from his word. Because I trust that God really has something for each of us this morning. So let's pray. So God, for us, we call you Father. God, alongside us, we call you Jesus. And God, within us, we call you Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are the living word come alive. Breathe your spirit into these dry bones. Our distractions and misplaced loyalties we are well aware of, so please forgive us. Lord, we know you are present in this place, and we ask for the presence of your spirit so that we have eyes to see and ears to listen and hearts to understand all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' transforming name we pray, amen. Well, one of the challenges I think in preaching is to help us transfer the word from our heads to our hearts to our hands, from reflection to action. And I hope that what you hear this morning will not just be a list of to-dos. It's not meant to guilt anybody. Um, but rather that you will wrestle with the scriptures. They're familiar scriptures that I'm going to use this morning. And that you will see yourself in that story, in that scripture. And I know um, and hope that you'll get a glimpse of the way God has been chiseling sort of the, some of the rough edges off my own heart so that I can be receptive to his word. Because quite honestly, scripture has a way of resizing us if we drink it down deep and we let the word work its way into our hearts. And so then our actions become a reflection of that. And so when I study and prepare, I ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want to break me? How do you want to speak to me? What are attitudes you want to purge from my heart? And I tell you, when you make space for Christ to work in your life, he will answer. I guarantee it. And just like an oyster coating an irritating grain of sand that gets inside its shell, so the word, the truth of the word, 
does that for our hearts. And the beautiful pearl that comes from that is a transformed life. And I know many of you know what I'm talking about. So I thought hospitality would be easy to preach on. But honestly, the Holy Spirit has confronted me about prejudices that I have, impatient ways, hard-heartedness even. And he's given me a fresh boldness in this. This has been really, really hard but helpful for me. And so I hope that it will be helpful to you as well. I wanted to kind of give you an overview, just what we've been talking about. We've been dealing with the one another's for several weeks now. Pray, confess, forgive, bear with, encourage, spur, submit, and now practice hospitality. And so many of these are intertwined. It's really hard to say something unique about hospitality without mentioning the other one another's. In other words, hospitality is often birthed in prayer. The Lord brings to mind someone who has a need, and he wants you to meet it. And he brings, he pours courage into us as we serve, even in difficult circumstances, and especially when it's difficult. And he confronts our own lack of patience when we bear with one another and we submit to the highest good of each other. And that's often hard. It's hard to extend hospitality to everyone. So all of them, of course, are first bound in love. There's an anchoring scripture in Galatians 5.13. You know it well. It goes, serve one another in love because the entire law, the entire law, is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. So the one another's are first bound in love and obviously they're lived out in community, otherwise we wouldn't call them one another's, right? So there's a sermon illustration that goes like this. The angels are in heaven. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the angels are breathlessly waiting with this question. Lord, now that you're up in heaven, how do you suppose the continuation of the work on earth is going to happen? And Jesus pointed to earth and to the church, and he said, they're my plan. And the angels said, them? That ragtag bunch you call your church? What if they fail? Don't you have a backup plan? And Jesus said solemnly, I have no other plan. You see, look around. We're it. We're the team. We're the force that God wants to use to serve others, to make him known, and to breathe life and health into others. It truly, to me, an act of hospitality can be the gateway to evangelism, to sharing your faith. I mean, it truly can become an invitation for one person to experience the love of Christ with no strings attached. So before we dive into understanding hospitality, I want to remind you, Mark said it, God does not do a work through us until he first does a work in us. 
hear that again. God does not do a work through us until he first does a work in us. We must come to the end of ourselves and rest in the sufficiency of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And this is really the only way I think hospitality can truly manifest itself. So what is hospitality? What does God's word say about it? What does the Holy Spirit, what might he want to speak into your heart, into mine this morning? Well, first I'm going to talk about what it's not. It's not a sparkling house and good appetizers, although that could be included. It's not how much money you have, how many matching dishes you have, how much good wine you have in the cabinets. It doesn't have to wait until the kids and all their toys are out of your house or when your bathroom gets remodeled. It certainly shouldn't wait until you have more time, more money, or are less busy. You know, our, our culture takes pride in busyness, doesn't it? We worship it. And when we cram our schedules with more than we can physically and realistically handle in 24 hours, then we can hijack generosity and hospitality. They can get oppressed, and efficiency becomes our dictator, becomes our idol. So what is hospitality? In celebration of discipline, Richard Foster puts it this way, as the cross is the sign of submission, so the towel is a sign of service. And so I brought my little basin and towel. I don't know if you all can see it, but just to help remind us and illustrate this. So here's the definition that I landed on that I think scriptures uphold and support. Hospitality is the predisposition to love open-handedly. It's being Jesus with skin on. Quite simply, being the hands and feet of Christ. Remember, we're it. There's no plan B. We're his plan for extending hospitality. In Awakening the Quieter Virtues, Greg Spencer describes the importance of our hands in this way. Our hands matter both literally and symbolically. In the open hand, our palms are up and our fingers are extended. A closed hand is usually a clenched fist, tightly grasping what it wants to keep or tensely preparing for battle. To be generous requires that we open our hands. It's a physical and spiritual fact we can't hold on and let go at the same time. And we can't give or receive unless our hands are open. So I'd like to share five points that I think the scriptures highlight regarding hospitality. Number one, hospitality is a gift from God for everyone, including strangers. The practice of hospitality originated with God. We don't have time to name them, but there's lots of Old Testament and New Testament references to practicing hospitality. And in the New Testament, Greek, Hospitality literally means love of the stranger. It's a difficult concept, isn't it? Because we all have the predisposition to hang out with people we're comfortable with, right? 
And I'm going to share a little experience I had about a year and a half ago with a stranger that just kind of blew me out of the water. I was down at Starbucks. I was actually reading a couple articles for church, and uh, it was very crowded. It was hot that day, and I was sitting on one end of a bench, and a gentleman was sitting on the other, and there was a table in between us, and Nadine walked in. And she came, and she sat down in that seat. Honestly, kind of the close proximity of it was a little awkward for me in the first place, but I just remember asking, Lord, if I'm supposed to engage her in some way, let me know. And I mean, literally within a minute and a half, she stood up to take her jacket off and caught my eye. And our eyes met, and she asked, are you a teacher? And I said, well, I, yeah, I substitute teach in the district. I said, I also work for my church. And then she went on to say, I'm getting my master's in environmental law at Cal Poly Pomona. And I said, that's great. I got my master's many, many years ago, before some of you were born. And um, then she went on to describe her kids. She said, I have four kids. She named all of them. She told me where they were going to school or college or the military and all the different successful jobs they had. I have four kids. They all went to good colleges, and they all have successful careers. And then out of the blue, literally, she blurted out, I really like to sew. <laughs> I'm like, I, I like to sew. And then we proceeded to have this conversation about different fabric stores in the area. She gave me a little business card to a place in Claremont where I could go see some fabrics. We talked about what we liked to sew and that sort of thing. I mean, it was uncanny how much we had in common, except for the difference between us. When she walked in, when Nadine walked in, she was wearing gray sweats. She was carrying several bags and a backpack with Disney characters on it. And her teeth were, were just so pronounced, they were just so pushed out in a haphazard formation, it was actually really hard to look at her. And I've heard that that's often a sign of a meth addiction. So we continued to talk a little bit more. She got her phone out. She showed me all these Disney fabrics that she had just taken pictures of over at Joanne Fabrics that day. I asked her, do you want something to eat, something to drink? And she said, yes. We got up. We went to the counter. She ordered a cinnamon roll and a hot chocolate. And I paid for it, and I said, God bless you, Nadine. And I went on my way. And I don't know if I went because I really had to go right at that moment, or if I just didn't know how to help her or see her through any further, or if I could help her. And so it was, it was a good lesson for me, to be honest. There's a passage, uh, it's kind of a unique passage in Hebrews. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. He's encouraging Christians to live out their faith, and he says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, I know in Genesis 18, Abraham, he entertained angels unknowingly. 
And there are other places in the scriptures, and I don't know how often that happens today, but that verse, I went home and looked it up. That verse became alive to me that day in Starbucks. There's a passage in Matthew 25, it's on, I think it's on the back of your insert, when Jesus talks about separating the goats and the sheep, meaning he's separating those who belong to him and those who don't. And I mean, here's how he puts it. He puts it straight to us. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So I want to be clear about this. Our acts of hospitality do not get us into God's eternal kingdom. It's only by God's grace and faith through Jesus Christ. That's the truth we stand on. But acts of hospitality shown to the least of these are as if we have given the cup of cold water to Christ himself. That's how important hospitality is to God. It's a gift even for strangers. And I know this is my growing edge, and maybe it's your growing edge. How to extend hospitality to people who are very different from yourself. Number two, hospitality is the practice of showing up for someone else. We spent a number of weeks in Romans 12 last fall. Remember that chapter? Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're called to practice. Did you get that? It's an ongoing process. We're to practice we're to practice, we're to practice until we look more like Jesus with skin on. The British children's story, The Velveteen Rabbit, goes something like this. Given as a Christmas gift to a young boy, the Velveteen Rabbit lives in the nursery with all the other toys, waiting for the day when the boy will choose him as a playmate. In time, the shy rabbit befriends the tattered skin horse, the wisest resident of the nursery, who reveals the goal of all nursery toys to made, be made real through the love of a human. Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's the thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he said, or bit by bit. It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. So the first step to hospitality is to just show up with who you are, 
loose joints and all. So I was confronted recently with this uh, when we went to Pomona Promise, a group of us went, Kyle went with us and Katrina and others. And, um, you know, down there, you have to kind of keep your wits about you. You have to be wise and discerning uh, to your surroundings. It's, it, it's uncomfortable, to be honest. It's uncomfortable for me. But I found myself drawn into it because it's good practice. It expands my comfort zone. It, will it address the issue or solve the issue of homelessness or addiction? No. But will our act of offering a meal mean something to that person who's hungry? Yes. So we keep bringing meals to them. We continue to show up in the simplest of ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So hospitality is a gift and it's a practice. And number three, life's interruptions are often God's divine appointments. And I know this one's hard because most of us don't have enough time to accomplish all we want in just our normal days. And so when we're interrupted, man, that can really mess up with our schedules, right? But there's a passage in Matthew 14 that we're all familiar with, the feeding of the 5,000. And before that miracle took place, Jesus tried to get away to a quiet place. He had just heard about the tragic death of John the Baptist. And he went trying to get away to pray and to grieve and also to get out of the jurisdiction of King Herod because King Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. I mean, he was the one who had him killed. So now that was the guilt he felt. So he's trying to get away. He was thick in the middle of a teaching and healing ministry when this divine miracle took place. And what the disciples thought of as an interruption Hey, there's way too many hungry people here. Send them home to get something to eat. Jesus demonstrated as the heart of God. And with five loaves and two fishes, he gave thanks. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The disciples were convicted by the miraculous and overwhelming grace of God. You know, our time belongs to God, no one else. And paying attention to the needs around us is the first step. And seeing um, God, life's interruptions as God's divine appointments helps us serve with love and with freedom. So hospitality is a gift, it's a practice, it's a divine appointment. And we are to enjoy the beauty and blessing in practicing hospitality and to do it without complaining. So a few weeks ago, the entire Zell family was serving in the toddler room, if you know the Zells. The place was hopping, balls were flying out the door, and I was standing in the walkway, and I couldn't resist going down and taking this picture. And they were all having loads of fun, and Ken assured me that this is the after picture. 
after they had a really frenzied, chaotic morning, they gulped down their breakfast, they were all looking for their matching children's ministry volunteer shirts. You know what that's like. But they got it together. They may have had some, fa uh, some Facebook, less than Facebook-worthy moments, but they got it together and they enjoyed the beauty and the blessing of hospitality to those toddlers. I mean, if you work in that toddler room, you will have contagious joy, I guarantee it. So there's beauty and blessing in practicing hospitality. The Apostle Peter wrote this to believers who were in the midst of intense persecution. Above all, love each other deeply, for love covers over a multitude of sins. Practice hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I mean, our broken world needs to see the beauty and blessing of hospitality from believers who do not care who gets the credit and they don't grow weary of doing good, even when it's hard. I was struck by this quote from Richard Foster, true service rests contented in hiddenness. Let me say that again. True service rests contented in hiddenness. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. True service is a lifestyle. It acts from ingrained patterns of living. It springs spontaneously to meet human need. I shared with you before, my mom, she's 91, she lives in Pennsylvania. She's got lots of pain and mobility issues. And every few weeks, my brother-in-law, Bill, comes over to her house and he clips her toenails because she can't do it anymore. I mean, that is sacrificial love. He does it without complaining. That is hospitality. The story goes that a woman's been serving as a missionary in a remote island in the South Seas, and it's, her time is up there, and she has a new assignment at home, so she's going home to the States permanently. And so the village has a tearful and joyful celebration before she leaves. And when everything was over, a young boy came to her door, and he, he was just holding out a pearl. He didn't say anything. He just held out the pearl to her. And she was really taken aback by it. And she looked at it and asked where he had gotten it. And he proceeded to tell her that this type of pearl is fa only found in the deep waters at the remote end of the island, about 10 to 15 miles away. And she just was so delighted. And, she, and uh, she asked, what possessed you to go all that way for such a beautiful gift? And the young boy paused and he said, a long walk and a deep dive are part of the gift. A long walk and a deep dive are part of the gift. A few weeks ago, several of us went to, over to the Scullies and we prayed and sang with them. As you know, Quincy is still in the throes of cancer treatments. And many of you wrote encouraging notes, and we put them in a box, and we took them over to them. And I mean, the moments were profound and 
beautiful when they brought Quincy especially outside. And we stood under that tree and we prayed for them. And Courtney spoke of the isolation that her family has felt for 10 months because of Quincy's illness and just what a huge blessing it was to stand in a circle of believers to sing to our great God. I mean, it was a moment I won't forget. There's beauty and blessing in practicing hospitality. So hospitality is a gift. It's a practice. It's a divine appointment. It's a blessing. And number five, and most importantly, it comes out of our time with Jesus. I started with this. Deny the sufficiency of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It allows him to do his work in us so that he can do the work of hospitality through us. And when we open our hearts to him, we open our hands to others and ultimately become an expression of God's redeeming love in Christ. Hospitality comes out of our time with Jesus. Now, you're all familiar with a verse, Revelation 3.20. It's a familiar verse. I thought for the longest time that it was meant for unbelievers. I think there's even in old evangelism tracts this verse. But this isn't the intent at all. John the Apostle is admonishing the church in Laodicea because they took great pride in their great wealth. They had all kinds of neat uh, products, including a salve, special salve for the eyes. And it was prosperity gospel at its best. But Jesus was not impressed by the lukewarm nature of their faith. He even says he'll spit them out. They thought that their great wealth signified their special standing before God, but Jesus confronted this falsehood You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Eugene Peterson at the end of this, right before this verse, says it this way, The people I love, I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. Then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm standing at the door of the church and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. In essence, this is what Jesus is saying. Release all that holds you, that keeps you from me. And when you do that, you yourself will experience a beautiful hospitality from me. Alistair Begg once said in one of his radio messages, God will not resist filling anyone up except those who are full of themselves. I don't know how this passage speaks to you, but I wonder if God's heart hurts over my preference for comfort and convenience. I wonder. I wonder how, 
if his heart hurts over how often I neglect my surrounding neighborhood. I live in suburbia. I think that he loves a church with dirt under its fingernails. When Jesus died on the cross for you and me, he had to open his arms and extend his hands to bear the nails that he took on our behalf. Just think about that. Look at your hands. It's a staggering thought. And that was his act of hospitality towards you and towards me. And let's thank him for that. But you know what? You can't give from an empty cup. You need him to fill you up. So we come to receive his abundant love and grace in order to be poured out again for the sake of others. So that's where we begin. We begin with him. Not to be a doormat. Not to let people walk all over us. But to be a vessel of his grace. I mean, God has blessed us with a multi-generational church and a very nice church with wonderfully gifted people. I mean, look around at you guys. Okay, you're not a ragtag bunch. And yet we are, aren't we? It, what he teaches us is that no matter what, we are all on level ground before the cross. And that even when serving is hard, he calls us to that hard place. He wants a group of dedicated believers to set their intentions on loving open-handedly and open-heartedly. And it takes all of us together as we keep our eyes focused on Christ, right? So how does God want to make you and me more real, more like him in our hospitality? It's a gift from God for, from, for everyone, including strangers. We practice it by showing up often in the messiness of each other's lives. We're open to life's interruptions because they're often God's divine appointments. We enjoy the beauty and blessing of hospitality without complaining. And it comes out of our time with Jesus in whose name we are offering a cup of cold water. Ann Voskamp wrote, Hospitality is making the ever-present Christ fully present. This is the beginning of becoming the gift. Allow Christ in you to give away the gift of himself through your brokenness. We are gifters of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for awakening in us the virtues of your love and kindness and grace and compassion. Write your name large on our hearts so that we can serve in a way that blesses and blesses and blesses some more. Amen. <laughs>